0: Today is July 23rd, and therefore it is the feast of St. Bridget of Sweden. She was a, a native of Finsta in Sweden, born in the early 14th century. She actually married at a very young age, at the age of 13, and actually bore her husband eight children. They had a very happy marriage for 28 years until her husband passed away. And already when she was a child... Bridget received uh, visions of Christ. She would see him scourged and bloodied and hanging on a cross. And this affected her very deeply, seeing these images, these visions, really. And so in great sorrow, she asked him, Who treated you like this, Lord? What, What happened to you? Who did this to you? And he said, They who despised me and spurn my love for them. They who despise me, they who spurn my love. So from that moment on, even when she was quite young, she developed a deep devotion to the passion of Christ. The passion was not simply pain and sorrow. It was a love. It was an expression of God's love for her and for all of us. So, this, this was deeply ingrained in her already from her young age. But, but after her husband passed away, she moved to Rome. And from there, she made some pilgrimages to the holy sites in Jerusalem. She went to Bethlehem. She went to Naz- Nazareth. And there, she also had these mystical visions. There, they were more tender, more vivid, you could say, where she experienced uh, the life of Mary. And she saw the actual birth of Jesus in a stable with the ox and the ass And the child lying there on the cold ground, but radiating a kind of a luminous light. And she would see Mary kneeling and Joseph kneeling there in front of the child. And she goes into great detail in describing these visions. And let's say her descriptions later became the subjects of uh, many, many paintings especially with jesus being the source of light and then also there would be a star way above illuminating the dark stable and in this case of course in her vision she saw joseph inside traditionally joseph was outside the the stable or sometimes it was a cave and he was always outside and not allowed in and mary was not kneeling but she was always not lying down as somebody who was just given birth those were the traditional representations of the nativity. But, uh, Bridget of Sweden saw it somewhat differently. She was not kneeling, but she was, sorry, she was not reclining, but she was kneeling together with Joseph, kneeling in front of this radiant child. And indeed her description ha- affected the whole, you know, style of Western iconography of the birth of Christ. I mean, today when we see a, an image of, uh, You know, the nativity, traditionally we see it as Mary and Joseph looking down at the child, sometimes in a little manger and so forth, but and, and the ox and the ass around. But that was quite new at the time. But it nevertheless took hold of the popular imagination. That was the nativity, and it was a very tender thing that she saw. She described it in detail, but then her visions continued, but now they become more severe, more dramatic visions of the Passion, but especially she came to be focused on the wounds of our Lord. And she developed uh, a devotion to the the five wounds of the Savior. So the two hands, the two feet, and of course, uh, the side. And with time, she came to focus in on these wounds as the signs of God's love for her. But just on those wounds, and later even after she founded an order, the Order of the brigittines it was all focused on this idea of contemplating the wounds of Jesus. And even in their habit, they have a kind of a... It, we used to call it the the, the the cyclist nuns because it looks like a kind of a helmet that they're wearing uh, with the five points on the forehead, on the sides and on the top, of which represent the wounds. They're these like red wounds, right? And uh, they have a habit, but this kind of like Almost looks like a helmet. It's not a helmet, of course, but it kind of looks like that. You may have seen them, and there are certainly paintings of, of uh, St. Bridget with that. And even today, in the Basilica of St. Paul, outside the walls in Rome, there's still a, a crucifix there, in front of which she prayed uh, the prayers to those wounds. And she developed a whole you know, series of, of very specific prayers that others would also take up. And certainly her her nuns that she... Um, accompanied there in her order, the Bridgetines. And, uh, and that crucifix is the same one she prayed in front of, that's still today. And, and there's even an inscription in Latin, it's a bit hard to understand, but it says, Pendentis pendente dei verba acepitaude accipit et verbum corde birgeta deum, which means, uh, Bridget not only received the words of God hanging in the air, so the words of God, you know, pendente dei, the words of God hanging in the air, but takes the word of God in her heart. She takes the word of God in her heart. And that dates to the jubilee year of uh, 1350, when that, was, when that inscription was written you know, in, underneath that crucifix. And later even her daughter, uh, Catherine, became St. Catherine of Sweden, joined her there in Rome. Uh, But uh, both lives, St. Catherine of Sweden and St. Bridget of Sweden, became very fruitful due to the contemplation of the cross, in particular the wounds of our Lord. Uh, And and these these are wounds that don't heal, that seem to hurt, that seem to make the Lord wince in pain. Now you know, you and I we can we can offer up pain, we can reframe it, and as we see that pain as an occasion of growth, it makes you somehow stronger. But it is still pain; eh? it is there, and something uh, has to be done with it. Eh? You know that it happens sometimes. If you if you have a fall of some kind, you you scrape your knee or something like that, and. Uh, or a bike or bike fall or something, you can get several wounds on your body in some way, and you, normally they, they heal with time, but uh, relatively rapidly, depending on your age and stuff. But then your and your health. But sometimes, if they're not treated properly, they can get infected. The whole wound gets all red, and it and it continues to hurt for much longer, while the others can heal. And and so Bridget showed that the wounds of the same beer somehow continue. It's almost as though they were kind of like that infected wound. They're not wounds that are simply forgotten in the past of ages. His wounds and his pain mysteriously continue to be salvific. Indeed, St. John recounts that on the day of the resurrection, in the evening, the disciples were gathered in the house with the doors shut for fear of the Jews. They were afraid. They were terrified. And they were terrified that something like what happened to Jesus, what happened to them. And so Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then suddenly, all their discouragement was transformed into deep joy. They were filled with peace, the peace that our Lord brought, and they received from him the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus... Rather, Saint John just says hands and side. He doesn't say wounds, but he says he showed them his hands, and they wasn't. I mean, he was just showing their hands. He was showing hands that were wounded, and he was showing the side with the pierce from the sword of Longinus. And but isn't it strange that those wounds made them rejoice? The sight of those wounds did not fill them with sorrow, but. With peace, It did not cause dejection, but joy. So, somewhere there, rightly viewed, these marks of the nails and the lance somehow were understood to be the seal of God's love. Jesus wanted the wounds of his passion to remain. I mean, he could have appeared there with all that cleaned up perfectly and no wounds at all. But he didn't. He wanted the wounds of his passion to remain in his body after he rose from the dead, to remove any trace of mistrust. So also, so you wouldn't think that, you know, in fact, the, the, that he had scampered off somewhere and didn't get crucified. And, but he, it was really the same body that was on the cross that was here now risen. He did not want us to think that he could ever repent of what he had done there on the cross for us even in light of our often mediocre and even our cold response. Christ's love is strong. It's unwavering. And so in our prayer now, we want to picture the Lord standing there with the apostles, with those wounds, and we're invited to look at those wounds and contemplate them, as St. Bridget of Sweden did. And even Pope Francis talked about the wounds in the canonization homily, for uh, John the 23rd, Pope John the 23rd and Pope John Paul II on April 27th, 2014. He spoke about the wounds. He said that the wounds of Jesus, he said, are a scandal and a stumbling block for faith. Yet they are also the test of faith. That is why on the body of the risen Christ, the wounds never pass away. They remain. For those wounds are the enduring sign of God's love for us. The enduring sign of God's love for us. He says, they are essential for believing in God. Not for believing that God exists, but for believing that God is love, mercy, and faithfulness. And St. Peter, quoting Isaiah, writes to the Christians, By his wounds, you have been healed. I'm sure St. Bridget captured something of that. By his wounds. doesn't say by his passion, but it's also his passion, but by his wounds. Because those wounds continue. And Bridget saw those wounds and she perceived the enduring love that they supposed for her. That's something of what she was contemplating. I remember one time, a number of years ago, I went to a I was in a parish and I was, you know, invited to celebrate Mass there. And uh, I didn't, well, I, go, I went there to, you know, fairly regularly, but there I was preaching the homily. It was, And it turned out to be July 23rd. And uh, I, I was looking, sort of looking at the people as I was preaching and I was talking about the five wounds and, you know, going on and on about the five wounds. And there, as I looked over the people, there was a stained glass a large round stained glass, and there I saw, which I had never noticed before, and I'd gone in there several times, there were the five wounds, that is, you could see, just these two hands, two feet, and a lance, kind of like, they were like very stylized and decorative, but there they were, and that comes from St. Saint, uh, Saint Bridget of Sweden, right? and uh, there they were beautifully decorated in this beautiful stained glass that was sort of uh, overseeing the, the crowd. They had to look behind as I as I saw as I said, Oh look, there they are and they all looked behind, right? And, and of course we know that since they are an enduring sign of God's love, those wounds did not weigh her down. They were like a proof. They were they were like a seal. And of course, from his pierced heart flows the gift of the Holy Spirit, and our our Lord's wounds are a sure refuge for us. And so, let us ask our Lord now to help us discover something about those wounds, about the meaning of that passion, and ultimately, of course, about God's love for us. If we do this, we can, we can discover practically like a new Mediterranean, like a new ocean of meaning in our interior life. Because how, how does this make sense? Like, St. John of Avila... From the 16th century, he he tells us um, that he tells us to place. He says, "Place yourself in the wounds of Christ." He says, "There is where his love dwells, which is the soul that seeks him with simplicity." And and so this idea of hiding in the wounds of Jesus. This was Saint John of Avila. How does this make sense? How can I do this? Well, Saint Rian also picked up on this, and he had recourse to this as well in some of his intimate notes that he wrote. These these notebooks that he would keep of his interior life that he wrote in nineteen thirty three. He wrote there too. Place I place myself each day in a wound of my Jesus. Right? I, I have to say, you have to reflect on this, what does that mean to place yourself in the wound of Jesus? Well, when he wrote this um, in 1933, but a better understanding comes a little bit later, in 1938, uh, when he was in uh, very harsh and difficult circumstances in the Civil War when he was in Burgos in Spain, which has that beautiful cathedral there that he would bring the students to to show them the beautiful gargoyles uh, up and the statues that were were sculpted so beautifully, but at a distance that nobody could see from the ground. In other words, that these these artists from the Middle Ages made these things uh, really in front of God, despite the fact that nobody could actually see the detail and, and the refined uh, you know approach to which they did these beautiful uh, gargoyles way up in the towers, on you know unseen from. From pedestrians below But in, in the Civil War he, he was there in Burgos And everybody, all his followers All the people that were close to him Were dispersed he, he had no news from many people No news from his mother or his sister Things were pretty tense And it was that time also That he was doing his research for his thesis His doctoral thesis uh, On a monastery there Called La Abesa de las Huelgas And there in the cloister, in the dark recesses of the hallways, perhaps somewhere around there he found an old crucifix. And as he looked upon that old crucifix, I'm not sure if it was on a wall or exactly where, but he received a special light from God, much like uh, St. Bridget did. And that light he described as a new Mediterranean. And that that expression, a new Mediterranean, I suppose is a very Spanish expression, but it's like a new it's a new light that like a, shows you like a, a huge new ocean is open to you right is really what he was saying so so on that occasion just upon seeing that crucifix he wrote a letter to one of his um, one of his followers uh, a young medical doctor whose name was Juan Jimenez Vargas he wrote this and he described what he saw this is 1938 he said dear juanito This morning, on the way to Las Huelgas Monastery to do my prayer, I discovered a new Mediterranean, the holy wound of our Lord's right hand. There, I was all day long kissing and adoring. How truly lovable is our God's sacred humanity. Pray that He grant me His true love to completely purify all my other affections it's not enough to say hard on the cross if one if if one of Christ's wounds cleans heals soothes strengthens kindles and enraptures what wouldn't the five do as they lie open there on the cross hard on the cross oh my Jesus what more could I Ask for. I realized that if I continue contemplating in this way, Saint Joseph, my father, and Lord is the one who led me there after I asked him to enkindle me, I'll end up crazier than ever. Try it yourself, he said. Try it yourself. So he was inviting Juan Jimenez Vargas to try it himself, to try also this contemplation of the sacred wounds. But he would go one at a time. And so what happened there? Well, he somehow grasped more deeply the redemptive love shown by those wounds and realized that the best way to respond to such great love was was not a matter of what he could quote unquote do but rather of placing himself in in christ 's wounded hand, contemplating it and allowing himself to be completely overcome by this love because we often think you know our values and all the things we can do the other things, the things we can undertake and uh, maybe the acts we do, even the prayers that we do and you know, the readings or, you know, the, like the doing, you know, activism, we do do many things and uh, we keep very busy and uh, we, you know, and, but he's, he's more, less into doing, more into contemplating. And in those days... Our father, St. Josemir, had read stories of a certain Jesuit, an Irish Jesuit, by the name of Father William Doyle, who was killed in the First World War, but who was known for the many acts of heroic virtue, and also all, just his service as a chaplain on, in the front. And he was known to have ministered right to the wounded soldiers, I mean, risking his life and... Uh, and, and uh, and he had read some of his, di- I think, it's his diaries or something like. He's the guy, William Doyle. He's the guy who talked about the butter tragedy. Like he would, he would when he would have breakfast. You know, some days he would have butter on his toast, and other days he wouldn't. Right? Like as a mortification, right? And uh, and it was called the butter tragedies. And today I had, to, you know, I, I didn't have butter. Another day I did, you know, because I guess he liked butter. I don't know, but uh, but Santos Maria seeing this heroic example of this priest on the front lines like in action like you know bullets flying and soldiers screaming and him anointing them as they die i mean that's like whoa this is like this is like hollywood material right but he envied this approach but realized that his path was something more of a contemplative that is with those wounds the wounds of jesus he said, "Are a perennial reminder of His love, which went to the extreme of the sacrifice on the cross." God never repents of His love for us, and therefore He said that the contemplation of of His love is is a is a source and a font of of hope for us. And this is what our Lord wants to sow in our heart these days. And we ask Him, well, this this great. Um, yeah, this great uh, grace, really, to be able to be contemplatives, just with the cross. Maybe, maybe you have a cross in your room somewhere or in your house, and you see the cross, the cross in general, you know. And you maybe miss the wounds, and that's because the wounds are what hurt. I remember I heard the story of a Protestant who who said that the the thing that really struck him the first time he ever entered into a Catholic church without really any intention of becoming Catholic, but he saw a crucifix with a corpus, and he immediately saw the nails, because in his church, there was a cross, but it had no corpus, it had no body on it, and presumably the purpose being that it meant to show, well, that cross is Christ is no longer on the cross, he's risen, and so he's overcome death, and so forth, but we keep, we keep the crucifix with the, cross, with the body, he's still there, because it is a testament to his love, which, of course, he overcame the cross in the sense that he overcame death, but for us, to meditate on the cross and on the wounds will help us not to be sad, not to focus so much on pain, but to re-evaluate God's love for us. And that guy who was a Protestant, seeing that cross helped him to re-evaluate God's love. No doubt he had a lot of True and good things in this Protestant church, but somehow that was a grace that he received. And after that, he he sort of investigated more about the Catholic Church, and he, and he well, he became a Catholic eventually. And hmm? we well, just think about the dramatic life of Saint Paul too. You know, it, it, it was not one of activism, but he had, you know he did have hardships, he did have a lot of trials, setbacks, but all those things that he went through did not take away. His real focus. He was a contemplative. You know, as he said to the letter of the Romans, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And He loved us. Some mysterious way through those wounds, and those wounds are what Saint Josemaria discovered so deeply on that June morning in 1938. And not only they reveal Christ's love for us, they are also for us an invitation to redeem with Him, just as our Blessed Mother did, to be His Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross to console Him for the many offenses against His wounded heart, because. Above all, they also wound our heart. So we ask our Blessed Mother, who would have been standing there at the foot of the cross, to help us, well, contemplate those wounds, discover those wounds, hands, feet, side, as a new Mediterranean that will anchor us more deeply in the love of God. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions affections and inspirations that you have communicated to me in this meditation, I ask you how to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.